Niomba Motomoke. That is my guest today, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mokanda Mombola and welcome to the Stand Podcast where we talk about all matters supply chain. We bring on entrepreneurs, influencers and professionals like Iomba to the stage. So today I am very fortunate to interview Motomoke. Why? Because she has a career spanning over 30 years in supply chain. That is one and two because I had a chat with her before. She told me when she was starting out in supply chain, it was such a male-dominated industry or niche that most men would not even want to hear her speak, especially in West Africa right so i'm glad because she'll be sharing all this and more on today's episode i think we'll just get right into it um yeah have you gotten the chance to get to get the vaccine i got the vaccine last week i got moderna so did you have you gotten the chance no we were having here that uh asra asra that everybody was so scared to get it but last week uh, Pfizer got in DRC, and uh, actually, I asked the, uh, the girl who worked with me when I was at uh, Village Ridge if uh, she can get for me an appointment. Uh, so, we decided that uh, my husband and my son, who lives with us here, all of us will, will go together and get it. So, we're still making sure that they're giving us people are so scared of uh, the other one so it's Pfizer that we are looking for so we hope that you get where they are giving Pfizer and you get it in Kenya is it that easy to get a vaccine yes it is it is very easy to get a vaccine because all health centers have been given vaccines most of them and people are being told to go and get them so all you have to do is just sign up to an online portal then go to any health center that has had a vaccine and it's also free. So yeah, so the access is not that hard. Here is just like there is that uh, still uh, people, uh, just like in the term of HIV AIDS, eh? how people were like uh, stigma. Uh, that's how it is, the stigma of vaccine and uh, bad, bad adverts. So we are receiving messages like uh, showing that, uh, you know, this is white men wanting to eliminate black people. So those are the messages that we receive. So, so very few people are really getting vaccine. But I think that the fact that our president got it, it will help to open up to more people. So, Mutomoke, you have you have a career spanning over 20 years in supply chain and you're currently serving as a technical assistant in supply chain and performance improvement at PNAM. But where does your study start? Yeah, did you always want to be in supply chain or did you have any other dreams before venturing into supply chain? To tell you the truth, I didn't start my life in supply chain. I'm uh, from education background, performance improvement, so I, I used to be a teacher at high school and uh, I taught French at high school and then I became a principal of a Jesuit school. So uh, with time, uh, when I went to state, my husband was doing his PhD, we came back, I started working with PISCO as a language trainer and then as a coordinator and as a, a training uh, uh, director uh, the training so that's where like you know I started developing materials 
So my really was in performance improvement, curriculum development, um, inventing new methods. So that's when uh, JSI uh, pulled me uh, to work with them in supply chain and I didn't have any background in supply chain. So I took courses because I was supposed to review the courses that they were teaching and make them better. So I told them that I can do that unless I have the material. So they had now to educate me. So I took courses in supply chain and I became passionate about supply chain. So that's how I started in supply chain. I became passionate and I so really understood. It went back to my childhood when I used to go to the dispensary, uh, to the health center, and then just find out like there is no medicine. So I start connecting and understanding like, you know, my people need this. So that's how like uh, I got into it, but mainly I got in it through performance improvement. Because even the course that they teach, the step that uh, Gavi has, I started that course uh, as a leadership I, when I, I wrote it first. So as when you work with the USA, everything that you produce, you have to hand it. But uh, I created IPHL. I was the founder of IPHL. I started the people that deliver and the one who started that. So I mean, really it's through the eyes of a performance improvement I got in supply chain. You are in a career, just like very many, that is very male dominated, just worldwide. But then now in Africa, even the niche of women is even lower. So how has it been for you maneuvering in supply chain as a black woman, as an African woman? It hasn't been uh, that easy. First, I, I tell you like the fact that I was coming from education background. So the pharmacist used like to look at you like, what does he know about medicines? But so I had to read a lot and I had really to study by my own uh, to get there. But as, uh, as I, I wrote in my, I think like when I wrote to you, I remember that anywhere I went, when they see that name of Motomoke, I'll find at the airport written Monsieur Motomoke or Mr. Motomoke. So no one really thought like, even when they see me already like he's a, he's a woman, they will still introduce me in a workshop as a man. So it has been really struggle. That's why you see like uh, uh, many people, they know me as the Mama Moto because I refuse to be called Madame. Uh, I was feeling that when they start calling you Madame, it's a type of discrimination. So I refused, I was just Moto. Uh, I, I told them that just call me Moto. Even when I was director, I was just called Moto because of that discrimination. And I have a small story that I was in Mali and I was in a hotel that was uh, full of uh, white people. And uh, it was a, a French hotel. 
the guy who was there cleaner never wanted to do my room so the day i was checking out i gave him some money and he was so happy he was even like humble to see like i was giving him money and then i asked him that what you hated most in me the fact of being a woman or the fact of being a black because having both is a disadvantage you are a black you are a woman you are it, it wasn't easy but it's just like you know you have to you have to be strong and be happy and since i loved what i was doing i never cared like you know they can discriminate you but you don't care I can I think I can only imagine because we are in 2020 and still 2021 sorry and still being a black woman even for me is a problem even in my own content so I can only remember the years back how bad it was being black and being a woman it's truly yeah. a disadvantage as you've mentioned yeah you get in a hotel they don't care about you and you are paying the same than those white people there or the men there and it was I will tell you something that was so bad about my time until when I did the leadership training, that you don't eat, you don't go out of your room to go and eat in the restaurant. Because many people who, who think like, you know, you are a prostitute looking for a man. And so they approach you that way. So you have only room service. It's only when I did the leadership training that I started now feeling that, no, I can't just hide myself in my room. I start going out and sitting by myself and the man will come, I will just tell him that, I'm sorry, I'm on my own, I can pay, I can handle. But that was our time, that it was even hard to go out. And then, not before then, yesterday, I was telling someone who was saying about uh, men, women, and uh, I was saying that uh, for us women, when dealing like you know men can call a meeting can call a, another man like let's meet in a restaurant let's meet at a bar then they discuss business where else can we discuss business it's only in the office and that's not the the best way to discuss business you have to be able to be outside of the working place they still have advantage on us because they can pull themselves outside of the working place they say let's meet at that corner tonight then we can discuss this as we can do it so it's still hard it's still hard we still have a a way to do but we are forcing it we are getting there i think with people like pamela still people like you with people like Aze, azuka or keke in 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 the supply chain practice there's hope there's hope for people who are coming up but it's still it's still difficult especially for black women we still have a long way to go i i spent a lot of time on your linkedin and i realized that you are multilingual i i, I always pride myself because i speak english and swahili and a little bit of arabic then i meet you and you speak english and french and lingala and swahili and tetela and chilu and i'm like okay <laughs> what doesn't she speak <laughs> You speak all the beautiful languages. So Shiluba is, I hope I'm saying it correctly, it's like more or less the main language in Congo, if I'm, if I'm not wrong. So in Congo, we have four national languages. We have Swahili, Lingala, Chiluba, and Kikongo. 
So in our four main languages, it's only Kikongo that I don't speak, by, but I can understand. When people are speaking, I get what they are saying. But Chiluba is one of the big languages. It's one of the... Do you want to say anything in Chiluba and then translate? Yes. So I say that, Udibimpe, meaning, are you okay? Are you well? Oh, are you well? Udibimpe, that's not hard. Udibimpe, I've learned something new. You have technical mastery of public health supply chain management, youth, women, and gender issues. What are gender? What are some of the gender issues you've encountered in the field as a supply chain professional, aside from the gender discrimination? During training, that sometimes you encounter that. You know, one time I was in Mali, and uh, uh, I see that you are a Muslim, so you can better understand. Me, I didn't know like Mauritania, they have one place like men don't shake women's hand. So in that workshop, generally, I'm a people-to-people -people person. So I went to this, the participants are coming, so I was shaking hands of everybody, welcome, welcome. So this guy did not give me his hands. You know, I understood quickly. So I didn't mind. But when we started the training, he really dragged me down and asking in front of everybody that, you, uh, Madam De, don't you have better things to do for your husband home than being in front of us and teaching us? I was kind of like, didn't even know how to answer, especially like I remember that this is the guy who didn't want to greet me and was shocked to see how happy I was with everybody, all those men talking to them. And then, believe me, we, we were two the two women that were there were all trainers a white lady and me there were no women in that training and that was in uh, that was in 94 so i was i was the only black woman there the white lady i think like for him he could see like the white lady could teach but not me so he just put me down there so you could hear like in the training room, silent went. So I kind of uh, genuinely, I just told him that, you know, I'm here with my husband's permission. He likes what I'm doing and he supports me. So that's an incident. Another incident was uh, 96 in Ethiopia. We were again uh, two trainers one white, me, myself. And uh, Suzanne made a mistake of asking uh, the, the participants there. We were, we were doing training. And then he asked them that, uh, do you sometimes beat your wives? So one of them told us, like, even you there, you are just women like my wife. If I don't like what you are doing, I will beat you. I'm telling you, Suzanne left the next day. She didn't stay in Ethiopia. She just did her luggage and told me that me, I can't handle it. You, you can stay, but me, I'm going back. She left me. Uh, and I, I didn't know what to do, but I had signed a contract with people. I had just to stay. So. It's a very serious matter. 
I am just, I, it's just very barbaric to think of the issues that the people who have come before us have had to face in supply chain or even in any other, other niche for women right now who are in supply chain to be respected and even just to be accorded some trust. Imagine for a man to boldly and confidently tell you that I can beat you just the way. Yes, I think that was 96, I still remember. 96 in Ethiopia. And by that time in Ethiopia, they were like shouting at us on the street, African, African. Now Ethiopia, they know that they're African, but by that time they didn't know that they were African. Oh, I am, I, I am truly sorry that you had to undergo that. But then, as you've always said, we are here because of the women who went before us, women who had to fight so much for us to be here. So I'm really grateful that, it, it, that I don't know, I, that's just, I, I can only imagine it happening right now. You know, right now we have the, we have social media. I can just tweet about it. I can call someone who is a woman somewhere. But then at the time, there's really no one. And women are still perceived as nothing. Black women are still perceived as nothing. So you're literally at the mercy of these men. Moto, uh, in your story, you've mentioned that your husband was very supportive. And my question, my next question is, behind every successful man is a woman. But then as a successful woman, of course, there's also someone. How, how much support... Can you say how supportive has your husband been in this career, even as you gone through the gender discrimination? Me, I think that the great, uh, I have so many stories like how he supports me. At one time, I was invited to a conference, and it was all PhD people. This that my husband has a PhD. I don't have a PhD, so I told him that. Why are they inviting me, do you think, like, you know, all everybody that is going there is those people, they have the doctorate. And then my husband told me that you don't know yourself. You have already that level. According to the experience, when I hear you talking, so that's for me, it's a way to boost yourself. I think he puts me in that level to show me, like, you know. And then another example is, like, when I decided... In, uh, we both are American citizens, but uh, originally from DRC. How many people they reach that level and they come back home? So me, I told him that I want to go back home because I've been doing supply chain in all other countries and I see like Congo is not working. So I think like the best way for Congo to work is me to be in the country and then I can work. My husband told me that me I'm a professor at university. I can get a job wherever I want. So if you want to go in DRC, you get a job there, I'll come with you. That's how we are here. We came. If he wasn't that supportive, he wasn't going to accompany me in my dream. So we came and it wasn't easy for him as he thought that he will get a job easily at university. They had a complex, a PhD from America, so they were just seeing like it's too much. Um, you know, now he teaches, but he had a hard time to get really a job. At one point, me, I asked him that should we go back? He said, no, we're not going back. You are doing well, so if you are doing well, I'm doing well. So we stayed. So that's how supportive he is. 
it's it's always beautiful to find a man who supports the the woman because again in our african context men don't want to be seen like they're supporting the women because the notion is that they're being controlled so i'm very grateful for your husband yeah so my in-laws says so my in-laws says so <laughs> but he doesn't care you know since he's an intellectual he has his phd he himself knows like i can't control him but okay uh, could you please Tell us, tell me what has been the highlight of your career. You've worked in what, 24 countries, you are multilingual, you're a multilingual, you have taught so many people, you have trained so many people, but what has been that moment you look back and you're like, that is, that is, that is where it's at. For me, it was, it's really when uh, I worked in Ghana, in Tanzania, in Ethiopia, and put the, pre the, the supply chain in School of Public Health, and then also at uh, School of Pharmacists in Rwanda too. So in those countries, the time I was doing that, I was just thinking, wow, how can I arrive to do this? Like you see the whole country change at university, they take the course, uh, the curriculum that I wrote, they, I, I accepted it, they took it, you know, I didn't feel that way. I did it in Malawi too, but I didn't feel like I succeeded in Malawi like the way I did in Ghana, in Ethiopia, in Tanzania, and in Rwanda. So that made me feel, that's what even brought me back to DRC. Because thinking like, how can I do this for other country? And my own country is still behind. So as I'm talking with you, um, I had written a paper, a concept paper, so that we introduce preservatives in all those schools. So as uh, always it does, that concept paper was uh, given to someone who has taken it. So now they publish, they are hiring a consultant. So the NAM level, the Programme National d'Approvisionnement, they called me that please apply for that. It's you who wrote the paper because now it doesn't look like it's, it was me who wrote the paper. It looks like it's the government who is doing. So, uh, so they begged me to, to, to send my CV. And me, I wasn't excited again. Uh, why that? That's, that's the thing that brought me back. It took four years for me to reach there to write that concept paper and the central level accepted it. So, so finally I sent the CV and the, the day before yesterday, that was uh, I think uh, on Saturday, uh, a colleague from central level called me that, you know, up to now you are the only one who has applied for that position. And I said, well, I don't care who is going to apply what I care is the person that they take should do it well. That's all. That's how I answered because I was a little bit disappointed to see like I wrote a paper and the paper now, and that's how it is in those countries. So, so uh, that has been my highlight. Even though when I created IPHL, IPHL today is a big international. I don't feel like I owe it. Uh, I feel like, okay, it's happened. But for those 
uh, schools being taught and the curriculum was what I wrote, uh, I, that was highlight for me in my career. Congratulations. I think you deserve an applause for that because you have not only changed the life of one, two or three students who will go through the curriculum, but you're really changing a whole country. Because in 10, 20, 30 years, the curriculum will still be on and the mindset will have shifted. And again, the, 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 the work in supply chain will have shifted because of you. And so for that, we are really grateful as Africans. You really have changed. I was hoping to hear Kenya, but it's okay. It's, an, it's okay. If Rwanda have it, then it's okay. <laughs> you worked as a capacity building director at GSI. And among your tasks was you had to supervise the development and deployment of capacity building tools and approaches that enable countries to better support HIV, family planning, malaria, and all that. This was, I think, a while back when, where we still had the stigma on HIV and also family planning methods were still not be, being used, yeah, or absorbed in the content. How was that? How was it maneuvering? Uh, taking it, ensuring that the stigma on HIV is not as much, but also ensuring that Kenyans or just Africans as a whole take up contraception? So actually, it has been, uh, I'll tell you a small story that uh, when I went to Madagascar, uh, I was going there hoping that, okay, uh, I'm going to do something, but I was going to promote family planning and the use of feminine condom because they were not using it enough. And uh, I didn't like it. Because I was thinking like, you know, I'm promoting, is it prostitution or what, what am I promoting there? But uh, that was hard for me, me as a person. But the, an area that I went to do the supply chain in DRC now, in Kasongo, some years back, you see, inside of country, and then I found a priest. The priest told me that, look at Congo, how big it is. And uh, you are now, you are promoting the use of contraceptive. And you are even making sure that they don't stock out. Don't you think like uh, this is something that the white people put in your head so that they eliminate us, we don't, uh, we, we don't multiply? So that was like really a shock. I had to take a step back to think carefully. And then I told the priest that, no, me, I don't promote that you don't have children. I'm promoting spacing. I said, I'm promoting spacing so that the mother is healthy to feed well the kids and is healthy to take care of the kids. So that was new to him. And I'm telling you that I had just, I was humbled myself by to get that answer to make it that easier. And he was satisfied. He said that, oh, me, I always think like, you know, when we are doing family planning, it's uh, to uh, make people not have kids so that uh, we don't multiply. And I said, no, so that the mother, then I gave him that traditionally our parents, used to have like a long, long time ago. When you have a child, they will send you back to your family. For at least two years is when the woman comes back to the husband. And I asked him, why were they doing that? It was spacing. 
it was facing so that the child grows well and uh, we don't do that again and i told him that it's you priest who came by refusing people sending the wives because the white men thought like when they're saying that it's so that they become polygamists so the the men start going out so when i told him like that so we cut off the discussion so that is in family planning but in hiv aids it has been really i'll tell you a small story of a stigma is uh, i was doing a, a training on women women leadership so we had all women from everywhere uh, in africa and they had taken uh, women in positions so we had one from south africa she was so used to me so we use like every evening we're in my room uh, she sleeps on my bed, I cook, we eat. So one day she comes in my room, she said that, Moto, you are the expert in, uh, in performance improvement. I want to come out tomorrow and I want you to help me. How can I come out? So me, myself, I was shocked. I never thought like she was HIV AIDS. So me, myself, I start shaking that this girl wants my death. <laughs> Why was she? No, that's me. So I started really thinking like, you know, I had like myself to go back in the sessions like, you know, you don't get HIV AIDS by uh, touching the person, you don't get HIV AIDS by eating. So I had to go back me, myself in my brain so that I can really think like okay what i'm hearing is is this i didn't get so it's how like i told her like okay let's go uh, what, what i asked her to do is like i said that tomorrow you ask everybody to close her eyes because i asked her to tell me the story how did she get it so she told me she was at university she was dating a medical student never thought like that guy and she was doing engineering so one day she had a headache she goes to the hospital they do her a test and they tell her she's hiv so the engineering stopped it there because they didn't want her again there as soon as they find out so it's how like you know she started doing whatever that she was doing now with women globally so then i told her that okay tomorrow ask all of us to close our eyes and tell them that Imagine you are 18 years old, you are at university, your first year of engineering, and uh, you go to do the test. They tell you this and that. And then you ask us that open your eyes, and then they will open and say, like, that's me. I'm telling you, people almost fainted. When she just did that, me myself i went through it by myself processing but that day they almost fainted because you know we have been with her sitting with her joking touching what no one remembered again those lessons like you don't get in touch just to show you like you know we have gone through a lot on what we are doing so today 
you see people online going to get uh, the IRV, people find it normal. But by that time, she was hiding herself. She was getting an IRV from uh, New York. And she was hiding to take them and to let everybody know like she was on taking ARV. So so that's that's the story, but now now people really do understand and uh, it's less. Yeah, the stigma has lessened when it comes to HIV. But then I can only imagine. I think there's so much that we take for granted. I'm thinking right now it's easy to get tested. Even you can self-test, it's easy to get contraception of any kind but then back then it was so difficult and you guys were sort of the pioneers you're pushing it to ensure that it gets to every even the remotest of areas in africa and to be honest i'm so you i'm really honored yeah i'm really honored uh amber you are a linguist you're an academic so which book are you reading right now and why yeah i told you like uh, i'm reading becoming from uh, michelle obama uh i'm just uh, I, I just wanted to be a little bit in her skin because that book, she wrote it uh, after, after when she left the White House. So uh, it helps me at least um, to understand her childhood and, and she became so famous and she's a lady who is so humble. Uh, Michelle Obama is not that pompous and, uh, you know, so that's what I'm reading for now. Um, what 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 so far? What have you gotten from that book that is you you, you can resonate with? Any lesson or anything you can resonate from becoming? Your, I, I, the lesson that I got is like uh, how close her family was, and how close they were. Like uh, you know, when she talks about her dad, uh, her dad uh, had uh, a sickness wasn't that but she never saw her dad in under the eye of a sick person so that's 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 his humbly Mato, what 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 do you think your life will be in 10 years in 10 years i will be 33 <laughs> but i'm thinking for you because you achieved so much what 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 how do you think your life will be in 10 years for me as i am now i'm already uh I have refused to take any contract that uh, gives me long period. I can take maybe a, a year contract, few months contract, because I want to work on my own pace. And uh, what I was thinking really is to create maybe a school or something where that people can still continue learning some of those things. Because really, 10 years, I don't know if God will give me those 10 years again. I feel like, you know, I'm going to at the end. 10 years is a lot. 10 years is okay for you, who is still 30. Huh? You imagine that me, I'm, I'm in the, the 60s and over. So if you add 10 years to my years, it's now going to 70 and over. So. And the life of an African is that it's not it's not that we're even getting there. Most of our parents died early. So actually, if you got ten days more, ten years more, is uh, 
village needs to have a school where as coming from education background is leave a school. Uh, Moto, you have worked again, you have worked in 24 countries, including Kenya and Thailand and Congo. What is that one thing that has stuck with you as you maneuvered and interacted with a diverse pool of people? What What is that? When you look back, you're like, oh, because of my interaction with, the, with diversity, this is one thing that I've taken. One thing that I have taken is uh, to appreciate, because I used to think like a colony was a bad thing. The white people came and colonized us. I used to take it negatively. But as I traveled, I discovered that the fact that we had to be mixed with those uh, colony, they mistreated us or not, but it taught us how to live with other culture. And that lesson I got it especially in Ethiopia. As I told you that they used to call us in the street, Africans, Africans. And uh, those, uh, because I was working with a professor from the university to teach them methods on how to teach. So they, they would tell you like, uh, to show you that uh, really, as we were not colonized. Ethiopia never got colonized. Uh, but me, I was thinking that if they have that behavior, even telling us that we can beat you, it's just because they were not exposed to other culture. And you go back to Ethiopia today, you are going to see that the attitude has changed because of the mix from Kenya. Kenya Airways, Ethiopian Airways going to Kenya, back Kenya, Kenya opened Ethiopia. It's from there that they saw like, oh, so Africans are not that bad. Africans are going toward that. It's now that Ethiopia has become also a big place. Me, when I went in 96, it was like a big village. So just to appreciate that more you mix with other people, more it builds you to be a better person. That's what I can say. So that helped me to appreciate even the colony that we were seeing, like, oh, those white people came and imposed that things. But, you know, you look back and say, like, oh, it helped us to really accommodate, not really, like, you know, you accommodate, you respect other culture, you, you adjust yourself. Yeah. That's what I can say. Uh, motto, successful people have one thing in common. I have spoken to Azuka, OKK, Mundata Sisi, and all of them have mentioned they've been mentored in one way or the other. Do you get any mentor in your professional life? Yeah, um, I met a lady long time ago, uh, Brenda Bowman. Uh, I met her through Pisco when I was in Pisco. That lady mentored me not only for as a performance improvement person to better understand how to create methods and things but also the way that she was living with the husband home it was really humbling another person that really mentored me especially in supply chain is barbara lanfer 
uh, and Barbara, I meant Barbara in JSI. Uh, it's Barbara who hired me to come and work with JSI. And really, she really showed me the way of how to become a better person and understand the supply chain. Because I was, I kept telling her that Barbara, me, I don't study only from books. I have to have hands on. So she gave me opportunities of going to many countries and seeing different supply chain, seeing like what works, what doesn't work. So that has been really a great experience for me. Also, have you ever mentored anyone? Do you mentor anyone? For now, uh, I told you like I was, I came here as a country director for Village Rich. And after two years, I quit because I was seeing like I was too far from what I came to do. So that's when I took a contract and worked with the central level. And so it's pushing me towards my pre-service that brought me in DRC. But I stayed, uh, I stayed a mentor for Village Rich. Wherever they are doing like a, something, um, a training or something new they want to start, they will consult me, I will advise them. I, I coach them from distance, even like sometimes they will be held, held in a training far from here and I'll stay online so that I can help them go through that. So, and I, I have so many people worldwide, uh, you don't believe me, if we go to a conference, I, I can apply to become a president because you are going to see everywhere, moto, moto, moto everywhere. The, I feel like I'm really humbled with the experience that God gave me in life. Moto, I'd like to send you to a desert island for 40 days. I will only let you choose three important things to take with you. So what would you be taking to your desert island? Hey, I'll take my Bible. I'll take water. And uh, I think a nice book so that I don't get bored. Because even if you read... Uh, if you read uh, the Bible, sometimes you get uh, you get annoyed and uh, you start getting bored. I am I'm, because you're from Congo. I'm, I grew up listening to Madilu because my parents really loved the music. Do you like Madilu? And also, what are your top four songs that you listen to when you just want to unwind? Actually. As you heard me, I'm a very strong Christian. I don't listen to my Dilu. I know that my Dilu is there. It's the word of you young people. Uh, I usually listen to gospel music. Okay, okay. Do you have any two songs or three songs in particular that really get you in the mood of, of praise and worship? Uh, you, usually, um, especially like... Uh, I like teaching people just a small song that I like, even in training, just like, you know, Oh, mon Dieu, tu es bon. Oh, mon Dieu, tu es bon. Tu es bon pour moi, tu es bon. It means, oh, my God, you are good. Oh, my God, you are good. You are good for me. So, oh, mon Dieu, tu es bon is so simple that you leave people with a, a French sentence 
but also with something that they can sing on their own. Um, Moto, we are winding up and I'd like to know, to know, do you have any parting words to our listeners, especially youth who want to reach to your level? Like, for example, a young woman who wants to reach to your level, what would you tell her? Actually, what I advise to young people these days, they don't read. People don't read. You see, like when you're asking me that which type of book are you reading now, most of the time, people love looking at movies, huh? but reading, and reading not only like for leisure, reading really like most of the pharmacists when I meet them, I tell them read, read all on, anything you find on supply chain, read. I think like that's, that's the advice I can give. To be curious, to find out like what is happening in other countries. Huh? Get news of other things that are happening in other countries so that you can see how can you apply them in your own space. So my advice is read, read, read. Thank you so much for a lovely, lovely, lovely chat, Iomba. It was really nice talking to you. I've learned so much. As always, keep it scan for those at home. I was your host, Mukanda Mombola. Mm-hmm.